0: This is the Oanda Podcast. Brought to you by Jazz FM's Business Breakfast. You're listening to the Oanda Market Insights Podcast. Each week we preview the big business and market stories with Oanda Senior Market Analyst Craig Earlham. And it's good afternoon to Craig. How are you doing? I'm really good. How are you? Very well, thank you. Let's start with Brexit news time. (laughs) thought you'd be pleased. Delighted. It's actually been a pretty strange week, even for Brexit. If you were to say six months ago that the deadline would be extended to the end of October, many would have said, no way. But it sort of happened in a matter-of-fact way.
1: Yeah, this flexible extension. So we don't really now know when the end date is going to be, if there'll be another extension after that. You would imagine if we get to the end of October. Halloween, uh, we have a no brexit you would think there's probably going to be another extension so it just feels like this thing that's now destined to just go on and on and on there's obviously still a way in which we can avoid holding eu elections and that's by parliament passing something uh, prior to the actual election taking place at which point because of the flexible deadline which we've been given we can effectively leave the eu uh, and not have to elect meps but the house hasn't rallied around anything it's tough to see how exactly how that's going to happen
0: We've seen Nigel Farage launch his Brexit party. Now, I wouldn't be surprised if they clean up in some areas and then suddenly it's a possibility that there'll be multitudes of Brexit party Euro MPs sitting in the European Parliament.
1: This is one area where I think change, I think, is the, what they're called the official centre party. This is something where they haven't really done a very good job of, which is branding themselves in a way that appeals. I do think they are going to appeal to a selection of voters.
0: They haven't even actually registered yet.
1: No, but um, they haven't really branded themselves in such a way, whereas Farage has very much set out his staller, Brexit party. You know what voters he is going after and what he's going to attract, and he'll probably do relatively well because there's going to be... A lot of uh, Tory voters, for example, right now who have become very disillusioned with the party. So you with this the EU elections is going to be very interesting, a real idea. We've always kind of had um, anti-Euro leaders like Farage himself actually getting elected in, in these elections. So if we do get to the point when we're holding elections, I wouldn't be surprised if you've got a number of Brexit party candidates who uh, end up sitting in Brussels.
0: And they may be worried by a, a sort of contagion. Uh, in the European Parliament, because this is one thing that Emmanuel Macron wants to avoid. It's quite clear that he wants Britain out of the EU because he's worried about that sort of contagion. And when you think about it, originally the EU definitely wanted us to stay in. I, I think some of them just think, just be gone with you.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think they've kind of accepted that it's happening. So therefore they want us to leave as soon as possible. They want to move on with their lives. We all want to move on with our lives. And I think they just see the UK now as a distraction, a disruption, and having... Brexit Party candidates sitting in Brussels is not going to improve matters. They're going to be disruptive. They're going to be. It's going to cause chaos. It's going to cause. Uh, it's going to cause large scale disagreements. Um, and and the idea of what they are going to want to achieve is going to be to as disruptive as possible in an attempt to force their hand and effectively remove us from Europe quicker. It's quite. It's actually been quite funny this week actually because we've 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 throughout the week we've had various uh, Brexiteers in Parliament effectively threatening europe um with uh with, with disruption etc uh, blocking um in order to try and force them to go against the parliament's will so this act of regaining sovereignty we've now got the people who effectively campaigned for that asking europe to override our, our our government's decision so i mean the it's the irony is is isn't lost um but uh, it, it just seems that There's this idea that faith has been lost in government, faith has been lost in parliament, so they feel like there's no other choice but to uh, effectively try to bully Brussels.
0: This is a markets podcast, so we should reflect on how markets reacted to this this week.
1: Not much. It's funny, Brexit for so long has been a source of volatility for the pound, and it seems that now it's become... A source of volatility removal so it's a now new normal isn't it well yeah i mean i think we've just become used to what to the situation we've become used to the chaos so now the pound's very in, unresponsive to it. we've been stuck in a range between 130 and 133 against the us dollar for almost two months now and um it doesn't look like moving we uh, not not dramatically anyway um we've got this situation whereby to break through 133 we kind of need to now have a deal to break below 130 um the most the the, the quickest route to that would have been no deal um uh, but although, although what we are actually seeing right now it seems is some downside pressure maybe some profit taking on these um the the positions built that were built up over the last few months these positions that were built up on the belief that we would ultimately uh get a uh, a deal over the line by brexit day which was always my personal um uh, assumption um and maybe we're seeing some profit taking so there is a little bit of downward pressure on the pound now so i think we could have, there is potential for example to break out of these ranges but we're not seeing the big volatility swings that we saw before because i think people are just a bit bored
0: okay let's move on i know you want to
1: desperately carry on talking about breaks you have just made my friday
0: <laughs> let's talk about some market data that's coming up easter break almost with us so we've got two shorter weeks coming up but what significant data uh let's start with the uk is uh, coming up in the next few days.
1: Yeah, I don't normally like to talk about data in these things because I feel like it can be a bit boring, but I feel like next week is actually really interesting because instead for focusing on Brexit all week for the UK, uh, we've actually effectively got a couple of weeks off for the Easter break, so there will be a bit of attention elsewhere. And next week's actually a good week for UK data. We've got unemployment data, earnings figures. We've got... Uh, inflation data we have retail sales data so we really do over the course of the next week tuesday through thursday get a good uh a good insight into how how the health of the economy is actually keeping up in such an uncertain time and a time when the global economy is slowing the imf released its new forecast this week uh, for the global economy and they they, they stuck two, 0.2% off uh, global growth uh, for this year um, and they sharply downward revised um, a, v- a variety of countries' growth expectations, including the UK, including Germany, Italy, etc. So the, their assessment is pretty uh, pessimistic. So But the the thing is, we haven't really seen it reflected in some of these data points yet, and I think next week's going to be another good indication of that.
0: The latest GDP figures for China will be released on Wednesday. Now, pessimism has pretty much engulfed the outlook for the Chinese economy this year following the performance in 2018 as waning growth and this uh, still unresolved uh, trade war with the United States casts a very long shadow, but um, perhaps some positivity in the air.
1: Well, we've seen some really good Chinese data recently. We had the PMIs a couple of weeks ago, which really got people excited because the manufacturing and non-manufacturing PMIs actually jumped. The manufacturing numbers, both the uh, the overall, the market figure and the Kaijun figure, which represents more small and medium-sized businesses, jumped back into growth territory. So it got people feeling very optimistic. And then today we had uh, trade data, uh, and that showed exports actually surged. Now this time of year we can't really read too much into it because the timing of the Chinese Lunar New Year can have a major impact. And last month we saw a 20% decline, roughly, in exports, and this month we actually saw a a close to 20% increase in uh, in exports. So when you take this overall, it's still not perfect, but it seems that the data we're seeing at the moment from China is much more positive. So uh, I think people are generally quite encouraged what's happening, and maybe that will be reflected in the GDP figures. We saw 6.4% growth last time, which, again, is still on the decline. But if China can get 6.5% growth this year, then I think people generally see that as a success.
0: And there's a lot of uh, pessimism around the euro uh, economy as well, with some predicting uh, recessions uh, coming up. If this actually goes the other way in terms of China, maybe Europe will avoid a recession.
1: Well, Europe and China are closely tied on trade. So when China slows down, it's going to have an impact. Um, is is the old saying, "When China sneezes, the whole world catches a cold," right? I
0: think it's United States. The United States, oh, it's, <laughs> it's about to become
1: China. But yeah. um, it, I know you were joking. Uh, the the you're just testing me. I'm trying do my best. The, the um yeah the the, the China is a um, very important economy and tra- and it it it's an enormous trading partner for very for many countries and Europe in particular, in Germany in particular, actually. So. It's really important if if we do see that kind of rebound in the Chinese economy, then you'd think that will have a positive implications for the euro. And this is another interesting thing because another piece of data that I've noted for next week is those PMIs. Uh, And the reason why I've noticed that noted that is because a few weeks back we had the PMI data and it showed in Germany dropping to around I think it was around 44 for the uh, manufacturing PMI, and that sent shockwaves to the markets because the the reasons behind it were very much global factors. It was to do with trade. It was to do with the slowing car manufacturing industry it was to do with uh, a multitude of factors, potential trade wars between the u.s and china potential trade wars between the u.s and europe so on and so forth so the weak german on actually sent shockwaves throughout the entire markets not just germany europe the U- including the uk the u.s as well so we can't i don't think we can underestimate this data i think a lot of people are going to be watching that closely next week and there is potential for more shockwaves
0: Oil is at a five-month high. Um, OPEC has cut production to just over 30 million barrels and the Saudis are below 10 million. And the OPEC meeting was cancelled. Why was that?
1: So the OPEC meeting was, this was effectively an emergency meeting ahead of the June expiry of the uh, production cut. so OPEC Plus, which is OPEC, and then some non-OPEC members, including Russia, agreed to cut oil production back in January by 1.2 million barrels a day. It was an attempt to try and stabilise the market, lift prices, because we remember we were trading back towards $40 a barrel, I think it was, at the time, which is obviously not profitable for these com- uh, countries, and so they need higher oil prices in order to continue to invest and pump uh, more oil. So they agreed to do that back in january it's due to expire in june uh, and they so they held this meeting they previously arranged this meeting in order to discuss potential extensions or not the need for an extension but they decided that that's not necessary anymore we are seeing better data we are seeing higher prices we are seeing a tighter market driven by both supply but also declining demand in us from a slowdown in the first quarter and they've also decided as well that with it with the way the the way the events are unfolding right now around the world that i'm talking Uh, The situation in Venezuela, which is an oil producer and we saw um, from a report this week that production there fell by almost 290,000 barrels a day to 732,000 barrels a day. They want to see how the situation unfolds there with sanctions that have been imposed by the US and the impact that could have on its continued production. How uh, the uh, Iranian output will 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 feature um when u.s waivers expire in may and we know that certain countries including india have been granted these waivers what impact will that have on production here then there's also other things kicking off as well so there's obviously infighting in libya at the moment that's not impacting production but there's potential for it to impact production further down the road and i think they just want to see how these things peter out because ultimately that's gonna have a massive impact on what their production levels are at and whether there's actually any need for an extension and i think it doesn't help the fact that russia doesn't seem particularly keen uh for an extension to the end of the year and recent suggestions it would indicate that maybe they are happy to just raise production again now that prices are higher um but obviously, Saudi Arabia are very much the uh, other way of thinking. They've actually been cutting production very aggressively. Uh, they've now cut to below 10 million barrels a day. To put into perspective, that they were previously pumping at record highs of 11.1 million barrels a day. So they've sharply cut production at this level. Very, very committed. So it's a question of is this the end of OPEC Plus? Do we go back back to OPEC trying to drive production cuts? I guess we'll find out in June because next week it's not going ahead.
0: Earnings season continues, Craig. What sticks out? Plenty of banks, yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean, this. so this is, uh, earning season in the US effectively, uh, officially or unofficially kicked off today. So we've already heard from two banks. We had JP Morgan reporting earlier. Uh, they reported record revenue, 29.9% billion dollars i feel like donald trump billions and billions of dollars uh profits uh up five percent at 9.18 billion dollars uh 265 a share versus 235 which was the market expectations so very strong numbers and more importantly jamie diamond was very bullish on the u.s economy and the state of affairs and higher interest rates having a positive impact on the revenue generate on the revenue generation so it seems like they've really set the stall out for a potentially positive earnings season particularly from a bank's perspective and if their assessment of the economy is uh it matches others, then we could it could be another stellar earnings season. Uh we're going to hear from a lot more banks next week. We heard from Wells Fargo on my, on the way here. They beat expectations as well while I was on my way over to the studio, to the bunker. Um uh, and we've got more report next week. We've got Goldman's, we've got Citigroup, we've got Bank of America, um, and then we've got non banks as well. We can't forget them. Things like companies like Netflix, IBM. So we've got around 51 s&p 500 companies so a decent number busy. next week busy week nice to have something else to talk about as well um so yep. i think it, i think it's going to be a really interesting week and we have to remember we're not going to see the knockout earnings growth that we saw last year 20% growth year on year because of tax cuts. Now we start to see what actual real growth looks like and how these company companies are performing compared to a year ago. Uh, and I think it will be really interesting, again, especially at the time when we're talking about a global growth slowdown, central banks taking rate hikes off the table, the IMF revising down growth forecasts, trade wars right, left and centre. If this doesn't have an impact on earnings in the first quarter, then that suggests the economy in the US is on a very, very steady ground. Yeah, very buoyant.
0: Uh, finally, Many will have a close eye on India's
1: uh, elections. Why are they significant? Well, for one, it's the largest ever vote. There's normal there's not na- around nine hundred million people who are el- eligible to vote in this Indian election. It will crow across seven phases because of the sheer size of this. We've already seen uh, one vote take place, um, and that was the the, the the that's attracted some form of controversy uh, due to some people not being able to vote, etc. Um, I mean, I, can you imagine trying to manage a vote of nine hundred million people? It must be quite incredible. World's biggest democracy. Exactly, uh, uh, but it's very much going to be a vote on Modi uh, Narendra. Modi, the PM, he's uh, he came in with bold promises. Some would argue he's not delivering the kind of growth that he's promised. Unemployment at 6.1% in a country like India is far too high, and some would suggest it's even higher than that. Um, but he very much has enacted some very bold and controversial reforms. So it's a question of um, are these seen as being old enough um, are they seeing as working we, we saw the demonetization now what was it last year the year before that was extremely controversial and caused in, enormous disruption although didn't necessarily have a huge impact on, on actual growth in the country so you could argue probably for and against how uh, how effective that was and uh, how beneficial that was there's been massive tax reforms for example as well in India which um, uh, many would argue was very much necessary so there's all these types of things which he's uh, really engaged in and now we we're going to find out what the Indian people actually think about him and whether they, whether they believe that he is the man to take them forward again.
0: Craig, have a very good week. Easter coming up. Wonderful. I'm sure you're looking forward to it. You've been working so hard. We appreciate oh. it.
1: I've, I've got Brexit fatigue. I think <laughs> I need a rest. <laughs>
0: okay. Thanks for joining us. Thank you.